0: I invite you to plant your feet on the earth, slow down, tune in, and get ready to create a life of meaning and magic. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur podcast. This week, I'm talking about returning to your ancestral homeland with Tony Newton-Aqua, who's the founder of Flowers and Moondust, an African wellness company. I'll let Tony tell her own story, but she was born in the U.S. to immigrant parents. Her parents had immigrated from Ghana, and she had the opportunity during college to go to Ghana and to visit this ancestral homeland and really felt a click. And so in 2017, she moved back or moved there for the first time back to the land of her ancestors and started Flowers and Moondust, where she finds organic, natural, amazing superfood and beauty products that are traditional African ingredients, things like baobab and moringa, shea butter and cocoa butter, and brings them to a larger audience and people who might not be aware of these ingredients. I was just so interested in talking to Tony because her experience is crossing so many things that I'm deeply passionate about, obviously natural beauty products and rediscovering and preserving traditional medicine and traditional wisdom, but also this idea of feeling a connection with the land of our ancestors and going there seeing, experiencing that feeling for yourself, reconnecting with your ancestors, the traditional foods, the wisdom, the medicine, the beauty. Um, It's all things that I feel deeply passionate about in my own life. And Tony's having that experience right now um, in such an interesting, deep, and real way. I just really wanted to have her on to share her journey and her story about her own experiences starting this business and moving back to the land of her ancestors. In our conversation today, we're talking about that pull of reconnecting with our ancestors and returning to our ancestral home, the value and wisdom in rediscovering the medicine of our people, of learning traditional medicine from other cultures and the right way to approach it, because I think sometimes we don't approach it in the right way. And we're going to explore that issue of how we can learn from other cultures without just taking from them. We're talking about diversity in the wellness industry and also Tony's deep desire to raise the profile of these really valuable, effective African wellness ingredients. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. If you want to make sure you never miss an episode of the Wellpreneur podcast and that you get my favorite links and articles, my insights, and the first- alerts about all the exciting stuff that's going on in this upcoming season, and especially as we move into autumn with the idea of being entrepreneurs who want to do well and be well. If you want to be plugged into all of this, then you want to make sure that you're on my email list. So just go to wellpreneuronline.com. So that's wellprinteronline.com and you'll see an email signup box on the front page or any of those actually, any of the, the email signup boxes, just pop your email in there and you'll be the first to hear about new podcast episodes and programs and opportunities and articles and all that good stuff. I'd love to have you be part of the community. Now let's get into this conversation with Tony Newton-Aqua from Flowers and Moondust. Hi, Tony. Welcome to the show. Hi, Amanda. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Me too. I've been so looking forward to this interview. Um, And like I was telling you just before we started recording, I've been looking on your website and just like totally craving all of these products that you have, which which we'll talk about, but that's always a really good sign. So I've been so curious to learn more about your story and, and everything. But why don't we start and just have you, why don't you tell everyone, how do you describe what it is that you do?
1: Yes. So my name is Tony. It's short for Antoinette. Um, I am a newfound entrepreneur and business owner. I moved back to Ghana in 2017 and a year and a half later, I'm an owner of an African wellness company. And the idea is to reconnect with African traditional healing practices and Through my website, I offer high quality, I test everything myself, um, African health and beauty products. So on the health side, you'll have your African superfoods, like your baobao powder, your moringa powder, tiger nut. Um, And then on the beauty side, you have a lot of our African shea butter and cocoa butter and naturally made soaps. Um, I work with local artisans. Um. So everything is sourced from Ghana. Everything from start to finish is done in Ghana. And I really want to encourage people to come back to Africa, specifically Ghana, since that's where I'm based right now, and just to explore the many healing um, possibilities and just to take in the natural beauty of Africa and Ghana and the culture and its people. Um, so... I also offer wellness retreats. In December, I'm piloting the first wellness retreat back to Ghana. And we move through like a space of healing. We have yoga and meditation and you get to eat our nutritious local foods and get to experience our culture and get to dance and just be happy and really root yourself in healing. So that's a little bit of what the business side of things is like.
0: Yeah, thank you. Oh, there's so much I want to talk about and dive into because I'm also really big into this idea of rediscovering the wisdom of our ancestors and the wisdom of our people, right, of our own people. And where did your ancestors come from and what kind of practices and foods did they have? And you've just, you're just right in that. Um, So I'd love to explore that a bit more. Um, So you grew up in the United States, right? Tell us a bit about your background and how this, how you ended up back in Ghana, how it came about. Yes. So um,
1: my parents moved or migrated from Ghana to the United States in 1970s. And they did so because they came from an impoverished background and they wanted to look for greener pastures in the United States in terms of having more access to finances and better education for their children. So they made that move and it was a very difficult journey for them. So, but thankfully they did. And I was born in the United States and I am very thankful for that because it did give me a chance to have access to better education. Um, I graduated from Colby College in 2016, which is a private um, liberal arts school in Waterville, Maine. And after college, I was a little bit confused as most people are after um, graduating. And I was on the pre-med track. So my parents wanted me to be doctors, which is very much the narrative for many first-gen children. And so, Um, I knew in my heart that I didn't want to go into medicine or traditional medicine. I just didn't know what it is that I wanted to do. And during my time in university, I came back to Ghana through a study abroad program and I just fell in love and I just knew I wanted to come back after graduation, but I didn't know in what aspect or what that would look like. Um, So after graduation, I bounced around from internship to internship. I did a local newsroom and I was a newsroom reporter for a little while. And then I found a job in business marketing in New York City, in Harlem to be exact, working for a small um, fashion company. And New York was very stressful for me because the cost of living, as you know, is very high. And coming right out of university, I didn't have um, the financial means to support the lifestyle of New York. So I was stressed all of the time and I wasn't really taking care of myself. I was just working around the clock. Um, At some point, I had two and a half jobs. Um, I had two full-time jobs and a part-time job. And it was just really stressful. And then one day I had gone into work and I get a phone call And um, it was from my neighbor, my dad's neighbor. So uh, my mom and dad had separated um, when I was young and my dad lived in upstate New York and my mom had moved to Pennsylvania. And so I get this phone call from my dad's neighbor And he was like, hello, is this Mami Java, which is my local Ghanaian name? And I'm just thinking to myself, like, who on earth is calling me, calling me by my local name? Like, who is this person? Um, And it turned out he'd known me when I was younger. Um, And he called me to tell me that my father had passed away and that he needed someone to come and start the funeral proceedings. And my whole heart just dropped. Um, I wasn't expecting it at all. Um, I hadn't seen my dad since I was seven years old. And so for him to pass away was very difficult because I felt like I had a lot of unresolved things that I wanted to say to him. I had dreamed of one day like rekindling our relationship and having a good, strong father and daughter bond. And so it was just a very difficult time And I felt like my whole world had collapsed and I'm still living in New York. So the bills are still coming in Um, and I just needed a break. So after the funeral, I got in touch with my dad's brother, my uncle, and he's in Ghana. And he told me, listen, sweetheart, just come back to Ghana, come back home, take your time. Like we'll take care of you, we'll support you through this and it's going to be okay." So that's exactly what I did. I, my boss was at the time was very understanding, so she allowed me to work remotely for her. Um, and so I came back to Ghana in 2017, and I just really rooted myself in healing and trying to process everything that had happened in such a short time, and trying to process the fact that a parent, which I wasn't close to. Um, or I didn't have that relationship that I wanted, had just left and is no longer with us in the physical world. And so through that, I began to study African spirituality, um, our ancestral ways of living. I started traveling through Ghana. Um, I met different priests and different elders who understand African spirituality and connecting with the people who came before us and also connecting with people in the spiritual world. And at first, um, as a science student, so I studied biology and African-American studies, I was very skeptical of a lot of the things that they were saying to me. But when you're actually on the lands and you feel the spirits moving within you, it's hard to deny it, right? And so just experiencing it I became a believer that the people who came before us the people who have moved on into the next life they're not complete they're not ever gone they're still there and we could connect with them in order to gain a better understanding of ourselves and who we are Um, we could connect with them to help heal um, generational trauma the way I understand it is trauma that's been transferred from one generation to the next. And so children of traumatized parents can be um, affected either directly or indirectly because that trauma hasn't been resolved. And my parents, as I said, they came from a very hard background and they've suffered things that they haven't processed and they haven't talked about. And that definitely affected their parenting style. And so it gets passed on, that trauma, that unresolved trauma gets passed down to the children. And I definitely, now that I'm older and I could look back and be like, hmm, the way my parents raised me wasn't necessarily conducive to having high self-esteem or having um, strong emotional um, ways of living. And it wasn't necessarily their fault um, but it is still trauma, and, it, and it's still unresolved. And the only way for to break that trauma is for me to process that trauma and for me to overcome it. And it's a very difficult and painful process, but it has to be done if I don't want it to pass it down should I have children. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, it's really interesting since you have a biology background. I didn't know that, but um, you know about the study of like the whole field of epigenetics. And I
1: yes, I, I do. It's
0: just fascinating. So I've talked about that a little bit on the podcast before, but very brief. It's the idea that um, things are passed down. Maybe you have a better definition, but things are passed down. In our DNA that isn't actually just encoded in genes. It's like, and it's a lot of it having to do with trauma. So, if your ancestors went through a famine, you might process food differently, or if they went through huge trauma, you might react differently in traumatic or stressful situations. So, it's like the expression,
1: yeah, how, yes. Yeah, so, what what happens is that um, certain situations you turn on certain genes, right? So. Something that might be dormant um, in a regular situation, something traumatic happens, and that gene is turned on and is therefore expressed. And now that expressed gene can therefore be transferred to your children or to your offspring. And so they might have a, a more inclination towards depression and anxiety and all these different. Um, emotional disorders, um, whereas someone who had whose parents hadn't experienced that same trauma might not have that gene turned on or easily accessible. Mm-hmm. So that's my understanding of epigenetics and how different situations and different experiences turn on or certain genes in your DNA. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's fascinating when you think about that, that you know, you you look at how your parents before all of us, how our parents raised us and actually it's not necessarily a conscious choice on their part about how they were raising you. They were just doing what's been passed down also. So that's affecting like what exactly. the stuff that happened might not even be trauma with them. It might be far back in the line and it's coming through and And we have a chance to, to start to just to shine some light on it and start to become aware of it and then work to heal it. Um, how are you, what's some of the ways that you're working with that and exploring it and working on healing it?
1: Um, So one of the biggest tools that has helped me is therapy, just talking about it and letting myself know that I am not crazy. It is not all in my head Um, because for the longest, I just thought there was something inherently broken inside me and just sitting with someone. And I remember one of my therapists told me, Tony, you're not damaged. You're not broken. You're easy to love. And that just stuck with me and I kept replaying that in my head through like the dark times and that really, really solidified the idea that I'm meant to be here and that everything is going to be okay and that no matter how difficult it is, there's nothing inside of me that's inherently broken. And the other things that I've been doing is I've been really um, being conscious about what I put inside my body and on my body, the content that I consume, because all of that is part. So really leaning into non-toxic living and what that looks like, really leaning into eating wholesome, nutritious foods, because it's all connected, the mind, the body, the spirit. So really making sure that each of those realms is taken care of um, has really helped me in my healing process. And it's a journey. It's not just one day you wake up, you do these things, and you're Everything is okay, so day by day, step by step, you'll get there.
0: I'm curious, um and I don't know the answer to this. I'm still exploring it myself too um, so I'm curious your experience um, this idea of feeling a resonance or a connection to your ancestral lands and um I'm curious when you went you know maybe you did or didn't i don't know, but when you went back to Ghana that first time, did you feel like it was familiar or a connection or like, how is that, how was that at first and how has that evolved for you? I
1: definitely felt uh, an immediate connection that I cannot deny. And even though I didn't know the local language, it came to me very easily as if like in my past life, I've spoken this language before. It was really weird how fast I picked up the local language and languages have never been my strong suit. And so for me to be just be able to pick up the local language, I was just like, wow, it's like my ancestors are moving through me. Like it's in my blood. It's in my like my DNA almost. So I definitely felt a connection right away and moving from place to place. It just felt familiar. And I felt like I was home. Like this is a like home could be defined so many ways, but I felt like this was a place that I've known before. And. I like just being in my natural habitat. And so I knew that I wanted to return. I just didn't know how. And my father's death gave me that window into coming back to Ghana. And so I, it was in in so many ways, it was his final gift to me, even though he hadn't been present in my life, his passing gave me a new opportunity. And through his death, a new me was born. And more awakened and conscious version of myself, so I'm very thankful to him, and I know that he's still with me and he's rooting for me, and I take a lot of comfort in
0: that. It's beautiful. Um, so I, I'm curious, how much do you know about your ancestors? Like, do you? I you said that your your uncle was still there, but is there? I don't know. Was there? Where did your growing up? Did your parents talk about your ancestors, or is there? Has there been a tradition in your family of kind of naming the ancestors, or has someone researched it? Or, I mean, what's kind of your relationship with the people that have gone before you?
1: So I am doing all that research now. My parents, when they moved to the states, they were very much assimilation as a way of survival. So they didn't really take their culture with them as much as some other um, diasporans might have because they thought that the more they assimilate into the American society the better off they and their children will be which I I mean I have a few qualms about that but what am I going to do now except come back and re and soak myself in the Ghanaian culture and the Ghanaian heritage and relearn our ways of living. And so I speak to my uncle a lot. We go to visit different family members and they'll tell me about my great grandmother or their um, ancestors and how we're all connected. So I'm doing a lot of that research through speaking to elders and they'll, they love talking. They love sharing stories. And so you just go to them with respect. And they'll tell you anything and everything you want to know. So I'm learning a lot about everyone who came before me, and the family tree is huge. Mm. And we're a nomadic people, so we moved around a lot before we came to settle into what is now modern day Ghana.
0: Um, I'm curious, like, what? Uh, so intangible, but what do you think? Okay, so that whole study. So I'm super into genealogy and all this tracing ancestors and. I don't know, in naming the ancestors, um, which I'll talk about in a second, but it's been so hugely deeply nourishing for me to do that. And it's really hard for me to express why. Why is that helpful? So I don't know, like what can you put any words to it? Like how was that how is that helpful? Yeah.
1: For me, it's helpful because it roots me to a place. I feel like knowing your history is very powerful. And that's why um, with the uh, American slave trade, the transit. Atlantic slave trade, they made it a point not to document a lot of their history because people draw power from that, right? And so being able to trace where you come from, being able to see pictures of people who have like a resemblance to you, you're just like, wow, I come from something bigger than myself. And so being able to name a grandmother or name a great grandmother who came from this region. Is very powerful because you come. There's something that came before you, and there's something that'll come after you. So for me, I find power in rooting myself in those who came before me, and it makes the story that much richer and that much more beautiful. And it helps in the healing process a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. I found that too. Is that it makes it almost makes you feel like you know what? Everything's going to be okay because I'm just such exactly. a I'm such a small part in a continuum. Like I'm the one that's here now, but you know. and
1: it's like you're a small part, but you, you're you a big part at the same mm. time. It's like a dualism that you're because in order for you to have existed, they had to have existed. Mm. And in order for your children to have exist, you have to exist. So it's like, yes, you play a small part, but your role is still very valuable and, and instrumental in the next generation to come. Mm. And everything that they've done. Like, the way I see everything that my ancestors done has made it possible for me to be here to do what I love and to do what I'm doing now. Like, they fought wars and they fought battles that I'm only now learning about. And so it makes you feel like you have to live out to, like, whatever dreams you have, you have to... Do your best to accomplish it, because so many people before you have died or have fought battles for you to be able to do what you're doing, and that is also very powerful.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh, I'm over here like nodding very vigorously because um, I saw <laughs> I saw something on your website, which I've seen. I think I've seen it on a T-shirt before, but something like something to the effect of "We are our ancestors' wildest dreams." Exactly. You know? And when I saw exactly. that on your website, I was like, "Yes, that's so true," because I mean especially <laughs> i'm I'm super into the like in traditional genealogy, at least like in European genealogy where my ancestors are from it's very male focused so it's all mm-hmm. about the male line and so I'm trying to turn it all on its head and like follow the women and like give voice to the women and I feel like I guess I mean all of our ancestors it's great to give voice to them, but I feel like for so long the women just didn't have i mean look at the opportunities we have today, and I feel like exactly by naming them by researching their lives by like, you know, it's like, I'm acknowledging you went, you went before me. Thank you so much for everything you went through. And like, now it's my time to do all the stuff you couldn't do, like to bring that out in the world. Our ancestors are
1: definitely part of our tribe. They're definitely part of our village. Like it's their backs in which we stand upon. And so we definitely have to pay homage and say, thank you. Like you said, and add in another layer, like me as a black woman, like that, black and woman together makes Mm -hmm. it even like i have to pay homage to them Mm
0: -hmm. absolutely so i'm gonna kind of walk into a potential minefield here but i'm just really curious like of your opinion on it so the products that you make and everything how do you feel about like people with non-african ancestry like really getting into studying your traditions and using these ingredients and studying the ways of medicine and all that stuff like do you have thoughts about that
1: um I do. I feel like it's it, as long as you do it with respect, anyone can root themselves in African traditional healing practices. It's not just for Africans or people of African descent. Um, I feel like there's a way to approach it. Like it's not like you're coming to take, but you're coming to learn and you have an open mind to our cultures and you respect. The culture and the practices. I personally don't have a problem with anyone of any race or any background because me, myself, when I travel to, let's say, I go to India, I just respect their culture and respect their way of living and they treat me with respect. And just so having that respect factor is what I'm more inclined to tell people just respect the culture.
0: Yeah. And I think it's um, the way I've come to think about it now is. I think if you know your own background and your own traditions, then you're coming at it. You can go to other cultures and it becomes more of like a curiosity, like you can exchange with each other. Exactly. Exactly. And kind of exchange rather than just this sense of taking. I think I get exactly. I get really worried in the wellness world when people are like, oh, I'm just going to go to India and I'm just going to like adopt everything they do. And then I'm going to go here and take everything they do rather than like... I don't know. It's like what you said. It's that um, it's the way you approach it. And I think approaching it as an exchange and learning and respecting the cultures. Um, there's so much we can learn from each other.
1: Yes. And so for me, that's why it's so important for me to run my business from Ghana and for me to live with the people that I'm working with. And so it's not like, oh, she came back from America. She's coming to take and take it away. But no, I'm stimulating the local economy. I'm here. I'm with the people. I go to meetings with them. We travel together. So it's like an exchange and it's not a charity. Like they the products they they give, I pay for it and I pay a fair wage. And so just making sure that we're constantly exchanging values and ideas and ways of being, that's very important to me because sometimes in my own country, since I am American, they look at me as a foreigner and I have to understand that as well. And so it's important for me to be here. And because I thought about leaving and going back to the States and setting up the business there, but I was like, no, then it would seem like an outsider coming in and taking. And that's very disrespectful. And I want to be as respectful as possible. And since it's a wellness company, I feel like that's part of having like a healthy well-being is being respectful.
0: Mm. So I'm curious to shift gears a little bit about, let's talk about wellness, um, the wellness industry yeah. too, because obviously in like in the US, it's just like exploded over the past few years, right? And there's so many health coaches, yeah. there's like wellness, everything. What is it like in Ghana? What are you seeing there?
1: Um, I'm seeing that it's just now starting. People are just now um starting to pay attention to what they eat, what they put in their bodies, what they put on their bodies, because for so long, a lot of our products were imported. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. And so it's there, there was this idea that if it comes from the West, then it's better. Mm-hmm. And so you have people giving up their natural resources and selling it off to outsiders and to foreigners, and then they'll turn around, process the stuff and sell it back to us. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so now people are awakening to the fact that what we have here, what our ancestors used is very powerful. And so, and it's for us. And so the wellness industry is an infant right now in Ghana. And but it has a lot of potential to grow and to expand the more people understand and realize that what we have here is just as strong, just as good, just as valuable. And Matter of fact, sometimes it's even higher quality since mm-hmm. it is the natural and raw version, very organic than what we're getting from the West because a lot of that is processed. Yeah, so local and fresh. and Exactly, exactly. So there's a lot of potential here and I'm very happy to be on the ground and to hopefully like in the next five, 10 years, we could also talk about how booming it is just like it mm-hmm. is in the United States.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I mean, what's awesome about the fact that this is all Online, well, that that's you know we do these parts of our businesses online. Is that you know you're based in Ghana? The industry is just starting out there, so you can make an impact there. But also through social media and your website, like you are impacting in the U.S. and these other yes. more developed audiences to bring like a different take on it. Like I'm so sick of like the green smoothie drinking yoga blonde girl on the news. Like that's <laughs> so
1: over, and it doesn't it's not for me. It's not. It was never relatable. Yeah, like, I. It was never, I'm just like, okay, so where are the women of color? Where are the Black women? Mm -hmm. Like, where are the Africans? Where are the there's so much more to it and so much that we can add and so much more that exchange piece that we can exchange for each other. And to have that one stereotypical wellness look, it just doesn't make sense because the world is diverse. Mm -hmm. And so the wellness industry has to reflect that. And there has to be people like me who are willing to come to the forefront and be like, hey, I'm African, I'm Black, I'm Ghanaian, I'm here too, and this is what wellness looks like to me. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. I love it. And I love the whole ancestor, like just the getting back to the, you know, like your ancestral ingredients and the stuff that is like our bodies would have adapted to use this stuff for thousands of years. And then we suddenly all start eating quinoa or something. It's like, what? (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. And um, the other thing is that a lot of these local ways of processing the raw ingredient like the knowledge is dying out like a lot of the younger people aren't learning how to do what our grandmothers or their mothers are doing so we still ha- we have to get that interest back so that we retain that knowledge and that information and because to process like something like shea butter it's a process like it takes time it takes knowledge and so there's a lot of knowledge in these villages that's just being ignored because it has the word village and people think a certain way about the villages, and it's like, no, if you go into these villages and talk to these people, they're brilliant there There's so much knowledge and so much value there that we have to pay attention, and we can't let this knowledge die out. It's very important to retain that information through the younger generation, so we have to keep the interests alive.
0: do you know I mean how can we do that like what are some have you seen some things that are working to try to preserve that knowledge um I think placing value on the products itself
1: people the people in the villagers are starting to realize hey we could make a living because it's still very important to make a living we can make a living from making the shea butter and so it's important for us to preserve the knowledge and to pass it down to our kids because when I'm not here they'll still be able to continue that tradition and to make money for their families and Mm -hmm. things like that so just understanding helping them to understand that there's a value in what they're doing Mm -hmm. um, has been very helpful in just talking to them and once again that exchange where you don't put yourself on a pedestal but you meet them like on the same ground like you have information I have information let's exchange and see the best way we can collaborate and they're very open when you come to them respectfully very open
0: Mm -hmm. I was I, I think this is I don't know it's a it's an issue I feel a bit conflicted about because i'm not well not conflicted about but i'm not sure how you handle it like when i i was in thailand um like the first time well i think it was about like six years ago i went to thailand studying with an herbalist and we went up and talked to some people in like a minority tribe and there was like the guy whose grandfather had been the medicine man and he had all these like scrolls from like I don't know, a hundred something years ago that was like their whole medical system in these scrolls. And he let us see them. And he was just like, yeah, none of my kids care about it. So I don't know what's going to happen when I die. And I was just like, oh, I want to go, you know, like it just really, I part of me was like, I want to go save it. And then part of me is like, well, this is happening all over the world. Like it's not for me. <laughs> it's not for me to go save everybody's stuff. So I don't know. It's something about getting Like you said, like getting people to realize like this does have value and hopefully creating a market. Yes, I think
1: creating the market, creating the awareness, um, getting people interested because a lot of the kids nowadays are unfortunately looking to the West for everything. What is going on in the West? What's cool in the West? What's this in the West? And it's like, okay, so but what about the home front? What's going on at home? what's going on in our villages and in our hometown that we can also celebrate and keep and preserve. And I think um, slowly but surely we're turning our attention back home. And so
0: it just, it'll take a while, but small steps, baby steps. It's like that. It's like how the local, you know, local seasonal food has like become a thing, which is how people ate for thousands and thousands of years. Exactly. But now it's a thing. And so we need to apply that to health and beauty also. And wellness, um, not yeah. just the food, yeah, cool. Um, I don't know anything else you'd like to share around all of these topics, or so when
1: it comes to the business side of things and African wellness in general. Um, I just want people to understand that there's so much beauty and so much value in African wellness. I know when people think of beauty products, they don't necessarily think Africa or when they think of high quality premium like foods, they don't necessarily tie that to africa and i I would like Africa to be at the forefront of these conversations and when someone said, oh, I want a high-end beauty product, if they think Ghana, if they think shea butter, if they think raw premium, like cocoa butter, that would make me so happy because it's very, it's it's really, like I, like I said, everything, it took me a year and a half to develop the company. And that was because I was very like adamant about testing everything making sure the process is organic from the farms that we pick the raw products on to the process making sure like there's no like i made i painstakingly made sure everything is organic and fresh and so the end quality is very pure and it smells delicious like and so just having people understand that hey like when you think of high-end beauty products africa as part of that conversation don't just think Paris and Italy and all these European countries think of Africa too like it's very high quality stuff coming out of the motherland
0: I love it so give us your website and do you ship worldwide
1: yes we do ship worldwide via um, DHL they cool. offer um, the most secured shipping I haven't had any problems so far um, and the website is www.flowersandmoondust.com. And it's Flowers and Moondust across all social media Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter.
0: And yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I just totally love what you're doing. And um, I hope we can keep in touch so we can see how it develops over the next few years because I think it's just, it's really awesome. I would love that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tony, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur podcast. As always, you can get all the links to everything we talk about in the show notes, which are available at wellpreneuronline.com. And while you're over there, make sure you're subscribed to my email list. It's absolutely the best way to hear about the latest podcast episodes, interviews, inspiring articles, behind the scenes glimpses into what I'm up to, and more. You can get on my email list again on my website, which is at wellpreneuronline.com. And I would be so curious to hear what this interview and this conversation stirred up for you. Do you feel a longing or a a curiosity about your own ancestral homelands? Do you know where they are? Actually, so many of us don't. We just kind of forget the past, or maybe it wasn't talked about in our families. So I'm curious um if this sparked anything for you and how you feel about it. I'd love to hear from you. You can either email in through the contact form on my website, or probably better yet, let's get in touch over Instagram. You can find me at Wellpreneur and I'd love to hear from you over there and hear what this show sparked for you. Okay, have a fantastic week and I will see you back here very soon for the next episode.